This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not made for anyone under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film, and today we are taking a look at 1961's Mothra. Or also known as Mosua, is directed by Ishiro Honda and written by Shinichi Sekizawa, and is also an adaptation of a serial novel known as The Luminous Fairies and Mothra. Now, before I get into the movie, I just want to say that this is hopefully the last podcast episode I recorded with this headset. I bought a new headset yesterday, and not that this headset is horrible, but the audio quality is not where I think it should be, or what I need it to be. So hopefully better audio is going to be appearing in next week's episode, as long as, you know, Amazon gets it to me on time. And you'll probably hear some of the better audio in earlier videos that I put up on the YouTube channel, if you follow me there. But anyways... Here's how we do things in John vs. Film. I give off a little brief synopsis that I wrote up. Then I talk about five things I like. Then I go into five things I dislike or I have criticisms on. And then I wrap it all up with my overall thoughts. And just as a heads up, uh, this has been like a month since I record the last John vs. Film episode. <laughs> so it's a little weird for me just to get back in the groove. Yeah, because I did, like, all the Gamera episodes in, like, a bulk, like, you know, back-to-back from one another. So, yeah, hopefully getting back to the groove of just doing these, like, recording these episodes once a week. Anyway, here is the synopsis of Mothra. A mysterious island is home to the twin fairies who get kidnapped by a greedy white guy. It's up to Mothra, the monster god of the island. To rescue the fairies and to fight against a threat known as capitalism. Yeah, that's you know very brief synopsis, but it gives you a general idea what it is. So yeah, it's a solo kaiju movie. It's Mothra's first movie, and yeah, uh, we got a villain character Clark Nelson who kidnaps the fairies from Infant Island, and that you know sets off events of Mothra coming to rescue the fairies. So, yeah, anyway, let's talk about the things I like about the movie. And the first thing I like is I love the human cast. Uh, some, no, you know, standouts is uh, Clark Nelson. I think he is a great villain that you love to hate. He is played by Jerry Ito. And <laughs> for some reason... IMDb has, you know, the character's name in the katakana form, yet his henchman is just named Nelson's henchman. So you got Nelson's henchman, played by Tetsu Nakamura, and then you got Clark Nelson, or as <laughs> IMDb has it, Kuaku Nelson. Nelson. You know, so... <laughs> I, I just find that very humorous, but 
yeah, he is Clark Nelson is that stereotypical evil businessman with you know what way to charm the audiences, but he is so vile, you know, he just like he 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 can be a bit cartoonish, but I think that's part of his charm. I legitimately think that is part of the reason why he is like probably one of the standout villains from the show era. So, and also the way you know Clark meets his demise by the hands of the people, it that's really cool. But I'll get into that a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, another standout with the human cast is I think the actors. Hiroshi Koizumi and Frankie Sakai, who play Dr. Shinichi Chujo and Snapping Turtle Zen- Zenichiro Fukuda, respectively. They have fantastic chemistry with one another, with you know Koizumi playing sort of the straight man doctor, uh, you know, sort of the you know expert of or knowledgeable person of what's going on. But yeah, he's sort of like, you know, the average man. And then you got Sakai playing as Zenchan. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call him Zenchan because that's how his photographer, uh, I, let me try to find her <laughs> IMDb, which is probably a mistake. Uh, you know what, we're gonna go with Gizilla real quick. It's, uh, ah, there we go. Kyoko Kagawa. Yeah, Kyoko Kagawa, who plays Michi Hanamura. She's a photographer. You know, a sort of Zenichiro sidekick. And, yeah, Zenichiro, he he plays the, uh, you know, journalist. But he is a very comedic character, but he's also like the main star of the movie. I would even say more so than Dr. Chujo because he uh, really, you know, gets himself into the plot. You know, while he is comedic, he also is not just comedy relief. He is, there's a lot to him. You know, he's able to put his job on the line for the sake of what he thinks is best for humanity. Like how he did not initially report about the twin fairies because he genuinely thought that, you know, keeping them a secret was for the best. And also, he risks his life to save a baby from a Dan. You know, and that's, I know I'm starting to talk, you know, about Zanjiro, but yeah, I think, you know, the chemistry between the two actors are fantastic, but I also think Frankie Sakai, Zanjiro, is easily one of my favorite show era protagonists, hands down. I mean, not not only is he very entertaining, but there's a lot of charm to his character, and he shows that he's willing to risk his life for others. It's very endearing that way. The next thing I like is I love the plot of the movie. Uh, it sort of takes a twist on the traditional King Kong story. So you got King Kong, right? You know, we got, you know, your businessman, your, in King Kong's case, uh, forgot his name, but the movie director, you know, 
But anyway, we got people who are mis- interested in making some money, you know, either through vil- film or whatnot. And, you know, we got the humans that go onto a mysterious island and shenanigans happen on the island, but they kidnap the monster and bring the monster to New York City and the monster then rampages in the city. But here, though, the monster is not what gets kidnapped. It's the people. And our time on the island is not as much as it is on, you know, civilization or Japan in this case. As, you know, like I mentioned, synopsis, the, you know, villains, you know, kidnaps the fairies, you know. And which, if you watch Godzilla, you know, you should know about the twin fairies. You know, they're pretty much a staple to the Godzilla series, along with Mothra. If there's Mothra, there's most of the time twin fairies, or at least a reference to the twins in some sort of capacity. Usually. But yeah, they kidnap, you know, the people, but not the monster. But because they kidnap the people, the monster travels to the civilization on its own to wreak havoc and to try to rescue the people. So it brings a more heroic light onto the monster. And it also allows the movie to really criticize the business aspect or the unethical parts of capitalism because this movie is very much criticizing capitalism. You know, and does that much more than uh, King Kong or King Kong, you know, it's a fantastic, fun movie, you know, but it doesn't really, you know, criticize sort of the business aspect to it. Like, huh, is it really ethical to bring, you know, a giant monster ape to New York City? Well, obviously, you know, danger wise, it was probably not a smart move considering quite a few people died. And Son of Kong did end up touching upon that but anyway I, i'm getting you know sub, i'm distracted by kong uh anyway back to mothra so with you know most of the movie taking place in civilization after the island exploration it allows our protagonist to really confront the antagonist clark nelson to you know really about you know, how his practices, you know, what he's doing is wrong. And also it shows, you know, it criticizes the government's involvement with, you know, these businesses and how they tend to back up these business owners, you know, and these people who exploit capitalism for their own, you know, selfish reasoning. Uh, In this movie, we got the fictional country Roliska, which Clark Nelson's from. And Roliska, it's sort of a amalgamation of, you know, Western countries, but specifically the U.S. and USSR, and that's most prominently with Newkirk City being definitely a parody of sorts of New York City. You know, so, and of course, uh, especially given how the U.S. is very you know, it is a capitalist country. I think there was a lot of criticism towards the U.S. in this movie, or just 
And then, of course, you know, there's other Eastern, you know, Eastern, uh, Western countries that, you know, rely on capitalism. You know, not so much the USSR, but definitely a lot of the Western countries. So it's sort of like uh, in the movie, you know, the country actually backs up initially. Clark Nelson keeping a hold of the fairies, you know, and Clark Nelson tries to bully the, you know, press about, you know, saying like, hey, how dare you say this article? You need to take that down or that's libel. You know, it's, you know, nowadays we just have businesses owning the press, but, you know, you could definitely see that companies definitely do bully the press into getting the stories that they want. But, you know, and I guess this is going back to Clark Nelson a bit, but one thing that I love is that even though he shows his nefarious sides to the hero and he shows his disdain for the heroes, he still is a businessman at the end of the day. So he's willing to do, you know, put up a charming face and be like, you know, maybe snidely, you know, be like, here, I'll allow you in the show for free. It's on my, you know, it's on me, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like sort of like he's doing it out of spite, like because he knows he's he's getting into the hero's skin. But again, it's also showing that he's a businessman first. But yeah, it's uh, how the movie really tackles sort of like that criticism of capitalism, that anti-capitalist belief, is really good, and I do think it is relevant to today with how things are going. Another example, you know, it's just. Like, uh, if you see what Mothra attacks, like, when Mothra is sailing, you know, swimming across the ocean initially, you know, she hits a cruise liner, if I'm not mistaken. So, it was like a luxury liner or whatnot. I don't remember, but I know it wasn't like a military or anything. It was definitely like a luxurious boat, but I might be remembering that wrong. I didn't write the boat in my notes, so maybe I should have done that. And then, of course, uh, you know, Tokyo City, you know, she destroys that. And then there's the big set piece at the end with New Kirk City, which New Kirk City, again, is a parody of New York City. But it's also like a sim, like a symbolic place of capitalism at its finest. And you see Mothra just destroying the city with just the gust, you know, flap of her wings causing like tornado, like gust of winds going through the streets and, you know, cars everywhere. And that leads me onto my third point, which is the special effects managers and compositing is all great. Uh, I'll go back to New Kirk City. I think the set of New Kirk City is really like really great it's one of the best manager works in the show era i believe it's very massive as well like you could tell like it is a massive miniature set and the fact they were able to get a lot of destruction with the wind was very great uh, i think new kirk city is definitely a standout when it comes to miniatures uh then we got the scene of mothra emerging from her egg on Infant Island. There's a really fantastic, 
you know, composition shot with her NDA going on top and the native Islanders on the bottom of the shot. You know, it's it's actually like a really great, you know, compositing, you know, shot. And it's also not apparent of the blue screen. I mean, granted, in the movie, there is some inherent blue screen, but that's also like, you can't really criticize that too much because it's like, it's not like today where, you know, where that would be like, uh, you know, a little less excusable because we where technology is. But when you think of technology back then, you know, it's a... It was very much still new technology, especially to Subraya's team, because I, I think this is one of the first movies that really uses the optical printer that A.G. Subraya bought. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I read uh, the A.G. Subraya book. So, but yeah, if I'm not mistaken, they really play around with the composition because of the printer that A.G. Subraya bought and for the most part that looks great and I love the scene of Mothra emerging from her cocoon the wings you know coming out on just the set of the Tokyo Tower and then you get that composition shot with Mothra in the background and the people on the bottom of the foreground and it looks great it's very you know really great composition and the special effects are definitely one of A.G. Tsubaraya's best. Next point is the music. Uh, unlike a lot of the show era Toho movies, or specifically the show era Kaiju Toho movies, uh, Fukube is not the composer of this movie. Instead, it's Yuji Koseki, and he really gives a more fantastical and whimsical atmosphere to this movie with his score. And is and it is in contrast to Ifukube's work, which I guess he would describe more militaristic, grounded, uh, sort of darker in aspects. You know, that's a lot of Ifukube's kaiju work, I mean. You know, but here there's a fantastical, you know, feeling to the score, especially uh, I think the last, you know, piece in the movie, like the last music played, that was really fantastical. Uh, and also, Yuji Koseki has to be given a lot of credit for the Godzilla franchise, even though this was like his one kaiju movie he's ever scored for at least from what I briefly looked at on IMDb, uh, he did end up creating a staple soundtrack to the Godzilla series, which is the famous Mothra song. That was Yuji Koseki and the Peanuts, who, if you don't know, the Peanuts were the twin fairies. Uh, Yumi Ito and Emi Ito, those are the actresses, or the peanuts and they play the shobajin the shobajin don't have you know individual names at least in this movie we'll get to when they do have names later on and 
Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's definitely something that has stuck with the Godzilla franchise all the way up to Godzilla King of the Monsters, where Bear McCreary did an orchestral version of Yuji Koseki's version of Monster Song. And even Ikira Fukube, when it came to Mothra versus Godzilla, when he did the score for that movie, he didn't really touch on the Mothra song, or like, he didn't really change it up. He pretty much kept the Mothra song as is. So it really goes to show you what great music Yuji Koseki was able to do in this movie. And then the final thing I like about this movie is the art direction. I mean, this movie looks absolutely gorgeous and has a very great use of color, especially on Infant Island. I think this is still easily the best rendition of Infant Island as there's a lot of greens, purples, blues, you know, throughout the island. There's, uh, you get a sense that there's, like, it is a tropical island, but there's something more to this island. Like, it's not just a typical island. There's something mysterious about this island. You know, the, the lighting is fantastic. And we never really got an infant island quite like the first movie ever again, which is a shame. And then I get another part of the art direction is the mad paintings, especially the ones of Infant Island. Absolutely phenomenal. Like the image of Infant Island's mad painting, you know, the silhouette or the shape of Infant Island, it has also been a mainstay with the Godzilla franchise up to Final Wars, you know, where we still get that similar silhouette and mountain formation on the island so yeah th there's a lot to like about this movie but of course no movie and i mean no movie's perfect so we have to go to the dislikes and criticisms the first thing is i have to mention that there is there is blackface in this movie it's uh again you have to acknowledge that this was made in 1961 and it was a different time than it is now. It doesn't make it okay, but it is what it is. So that's one part of the movie that doesn't age well. Uh, what I do think... I, I don't want to defend Blackface, but this might get me canceled. But it would have been interesting if it was just like... Uh, so in the movie, uh, the... You know, after Nelson has kidnapped the fairies, he displays the fairies on a tour in Japan. And one of the dance scenes has natives dancing with the fairies song. And I don't think those are the actual natives from the island because, as you can see, they didn't really kidnap the natives. They more so kept, you know, just were there for the girls and they killed any natives that stood their way. Uh, so I think it would have been a more interesting aspect if it was like the theater natives for blackface, and but the actual natives weren't. I I think that would have been an interesting criticism for the you know you know like the system like that. But of course, no, that's not what happened in the movie. So. You know, and again, the, even if I 
what I said, they did it like how I said it, even though that would have been interesting. That doesn't make it right by any means. But if it was, you know, I I guess what I'm saying is if it was just used for the scene, you know, theater, it could have been an interesting way to criticize, you know, how these businessmen use blackface, you know, for their own benefits. But again, that's not what the movie was going for. Because again, it's both the natives and the fake natives in the movie are they're both blackface, so the movie's just wrong in that. So hopefully that point didn't get me canceled because again, I am not G Fest. I am not defending blackface. Nope, nope. <laughs> me. Oh god. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh the next point is that we couldn't get the original death of Nelson. So I touched on this a little bit earlier in the episode uh because in the movie nelson he gets cornered by the people of raliska and which ends up with him getting shot at by the cops and you know and he has like the editing does a lot of the work in this part you know as nelson flashback you know compares the people of raliska which the country he's from with the natives you know, from Mothra, the natives that he killed to get the fairies. But just to let you know, well, that I don't think that ending or that climax for uh, Nelson Clark is necessarily bad. I, I think it actually there could be an argument that is a fitting, at, you know, death for Nelson. It's uh, also not the one that was initially intended and was made because of budgetary reasons. And I, if I remember, it was budgetary reasons, or it also could have been just how complicated it would have been. But I'm leaning towards more budget and possibly time uh, because the original death was for Mothra to like kill Nelson. And I think personally... I would have loved it if Mothra was the one to kill Nelson because throughout the entire movie, Mothra is like on a beeline towards, you know, wherever Nelson is with the fairies. You know, so I think that would have been, you know, like a fitting conclusion. Like if that buildup would have had that payoff, but. Again, the the ending we have to Nelson is perfectly fine. And again, I could actually see people really preferring this version. But there's also part of me that really wishes, yeah, I want the I want Mothra to off that sucker, that fucker, whatever. This podcast is rated explicit for a reason, so I can swear as much as I fucking want. <laughs> Not made for kids, just to let you know. Uh, next up is there is some uh, rough cuts in the movie. It's this one is a very nitpicky point, but there's just like uh, parts of the movie where the cut feels very abrupt, especially with the audio, where it's just like when it cuts to the scene, like it feels like it felt like the audio from the previous shot or scene wasn't finished, and but it just was like cuffed. So you you can feel the. Like, some of the cuts are rough, but that, to me, is a bit of a nitpick. Uh, next point is the, I think, some of the English dialogue from the 
Caucasian actors wasn't the greatest, uh, not compared to the what we got. But I was able to read from the subtitle version of the movie when it came to the ja- you know Japanese. But uh, there was just some weird dialogue, especially from one of the Roliska Roliska scientists who actually is on the side of the Japanese scientists telling Nelson to like go, you know, hey, drop the fairies. Don't we're not kidnapping the fairies. But he has lines where he's just like, I understand. It's like, okay. You know, it was like such a weird you know point. Or like earlier where he's just like, oh, blood sucking vampire plants. Yeah, it's just like something like I'm not blaming the actors. In fact, like I think Clark Nelson, he has some weird English dialogue. And I think uh, this is not really too much of a jab of Ishiro Honda because I think this is one of his best directorial works. But I don't think he has a lot of experience when it comes to English, you know, you know, like directing. You know, so like when it comes to directing with English language, because you could like with uh, Clark Nelson, he, like the actor speaking English, and even though he speaks English just fine, you know, at least in my opinion, I didn't have problems with his English, but it's like a very stark contrast. Like he, he's, it's very more, it's a bit more stilted. Uh, delivery when it comes to English, but when the Japanese kicks in, boom, he is like, off, you know, fully into it. So I think it's just, I think uh, maybe they should not have used uh, some of the English dialogue or just have gone to everyone speaking Japanese because when they start talking English, it, again, wasn't horrible. It's just it, it definitely sounded off. And then finally, I mentioned the character, uh, shoot, where, where is she? Where is she? Yeah, there we go. Uh, the character Michi, the photographer. And, you know, she actually has, you know, quite a bit of a presence in the beginning of the movie, you know, tagging along with, uh, Zenichiro, you know, but as the movie goes forward, she sort of gets sidelined. You know, more and more. You know, she's still present throughout the movie, but her importance to the plot is diminished. As, again, it really, like, you know, a lot of the scenes, she could have easily been cut out and you wouldn't have noticed, which I think is a shame because I think there was a lot of potential for her character at the beginning. And it does pay off in one moment where... Because she shows her willingness to, like, shows why her and Zenichiro make a great team. Like, how they trick into getting Dr. Chujo's picture with a camera lighter. And it was Amichi who was the instigator for that. Like, she pulls out the lighter first, and that gives Zenichiro, you know, the the cue to, oh, yeah, yep, we're doing this. And that pays off with her being able to sneak that lighter camera to take the picture of the 
fairies in captivity in that cage. You know, so again, it's kind of just a shame that her character just loses her importance as the movie goes forward. But anyway, those are my five dislikes and my five likes, so it's time to wrap this movie up with my overall thoughts. Overall, this is a very beautiful movie, and is easily one of the best Shoah-era kaiju entries and Shiro Honda movies. It's very easy to see why Mothra has become a mainstay in the Godzilla franchise. The only things that hold this movie back are the practices and tropes from early 60s cinema. This is also one of the movies where the themes and messages are still very much relevant to this day. But yeah, that's it for this episode of John vs. Film. Next week, we are continuing off with the Mothra movies, with Rebirth of Mothra next week, so stay tuned for that. And also, hopefully, better audio from me. So, let's see if you know that goes well. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this podcast is available on YouTube, Podbean.com, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addicts. And yeah, that's about it. Um, and make sure to follow me on Twitter. I post art on there. And also that gives you an update to what's happening not only with the podcast, but with my YouTube channel, Henshin John, and the main video series there. And yeah, if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure to like the video. If you love Mothra, dislike the video. If you are a big fan of how capitalism is in the States, dislike the video. If you love, love corporate America, <laughs> uh, leave a comment down below to tell me what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. Subscribe and hit the bell for notification to keep tabs of not only the podcast, but for the main videos as well. And anyway, again, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you have a fantastic day. See you guys next week. Take care.